The following audio is from New City Church Milledgeville. More information on New City Church Milledgeville is available at www.newcitymilledgeville.org. On a, a text that we're looking at. As we study through Genesis, as we're doing right now, we cover large sections of Scripture at a time. And today is, is, no, um, is no exception. Uh, the text from this morning, as you can see, spans from Genesis 6, verse 9... Genesis 9, verse 17. That's a lot, okay? Um, We can obviously not do an exhaustive look at this text in the amount of time that we have. Uh, And and so what we'll do is uh, kind of an overview. What is the the big picture of this story that we're looking at this morning? Um, And and as what happened, it's really funny because we talked about Noah and the ark last week. And I was talking with somebody yesterday at work. Um, staying after I clocked out in the kitchen, hearing somebody just kind of pour their heart out, and, and someone else came up and mentioned something else and said, does everybody come to you like this at work? And I said, yeah, it's one of the things that kind of confirms God's call on, to ministry in my life is that I can't get away from people. Like, they just they track me down. And, and I've talked about what we'll talk about this morning with a handful of people this week already, just after Patrick's sermon last week. Um, and, and it's really, really great because what I, what I hope we get to walk away with is, is a good understanding um, of, of the real important kind of emphasis and focus of what the story of Noah and the ark is, is really, really about. Um, and, and if you were here when I preached in the Advent series, I talked a little bit about, um, I try to be careful when I throw out these $10 theological words, uh, the, the meta-narrative of Scripture, and that's just a fancy term for like the, the big picture, the big story of Scripture, the overarching story, what it's all about, so to speak. Uh, and I talked about that a little bit in the Advent series, and we'll go back to that, that understanding this morning um, on what the meta-narrative of Scripture is. Learn that word, tell it to your friends, and impress them. Um, the, the big story of Scripture uh, and that the real important story that Noah and the ark tells is not so much about Noah and the ark, but it's about Jesus. That all of Scripture is about Jesus. The meta narrative is God rescuing his people. That is the big story of Scripture. And all of Scripture, every story points to Jesus. Um, so before we get started, we'll pray again and then we'll read this fantastic chunk of scripture, uh, and we'll, we'll breeze through, and, and hopefully um, any, anyone here who's this morning who's an unbeliever will hear the gospel. Those that are in Christ will be edified and encouraged, um, and will be equipped to, to go out and to love Jesus a little better. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy to us. Um, God, I thank you for the privilege uh, that, that I so often overlook to, to gather together openly uh, without fear of persecution. Um, what I grumble and gripe about with setup and teardown and, and audio-visual struggles and, and the things that I gripe about, um, Christians all over the world are given their lives for. Um, they meet in huddled dark rooms around a light bulb with tattered pieces of Scripture um, and, and they would die for it every day. Um, God, and I take that for granted, the, the grace that you've extended to us Christians uh, here in this part of the world. Uh, so God, I pray that we would not take that lightly, that we would not waste it. God, that we would um, 
just as our, our mission here says that we would, we would see our hearts transformed with the gospel and from the overflow of that, God, that, you, that we would see the gospel transform everything within our reach. Uh, God, our, our only hope and desire this morning is that your name would be made great and as the name of Christ is exalted that you would draw all men to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, so before I read the text, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm short and I'm simple. I want to tell you what I want you to know before I tell it to you. Um, like, this is what I want you to learn. This is what you should learn. All right, so the main point um, that I want you to walk away with today, um, and it may be on the screen here. Yeah, um, here. Here's the main point. This is the whole crux. So you could, you could literally tune out after this and just remember this, and you're golden. As amazing as the story of Noah's Ark is, its greater purpose is to point us to an even more amazing story about a better Savior, Jesus Christ. Someone asked you what church was about today, that's what you tell them, okay? That's the whole point I want to drive home. So if I mess this whole thing up from here on forward, you got this, okay? Let's look at the text. Genesis chapter 6, 9. Um, it's a lot, so read along with me. Um, I'll try to do this well, but I think the reading of Scripture is important enough to, to not ignore it because it's a lot, okay? So let's, let's do this together, and then we'll, we'll look at what all this means. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing, on the ground, of the ground, according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also with you every sort of food. Take every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, 
and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. And rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's, Noah's wife, wife and the three wives of his sons with him entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth the waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep. And all the flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind." Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. He went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth the dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark. For the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days and again sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove. And she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. And behold, the face of the ground was dry, 
In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every morning, excuse me, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require, require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by, the man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Team on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all the earth and all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant. God said to Noah, verse 17, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Wow. If that was a lot to listen and follow, it was a lot to read. I never want to work under the assumption, though, that this is common knowledge. Um, a lot of times we get real comfy as followers of Christ in church in this setting, that we think that everyone that sits alongside us has the same knowledge and understanding of Scripture uh, as we do. Uh, and, and that is not the case more often than, than it isn't, um, that not everyone grew up in Sunday school and heard these stories over and over and over again. Um, and, and so it's good to hear that, as cumbersome as it may be to hear that many chapters at once. Um, so going back for just a moment to where I was talking about a moment ago with meta metanarrative, um, we hear these stories uh, so much growing up, and that reference to Sunday school just reminded me of that. You know, we, we, hear, um, we hear the story of, of Noah and the ark. We hear of David and Goliath. Uh, Goliath. Uh, we hear all these, these different stories that we, 
at least for me, this is what I was guilty of. I compartmentalized these things, and as a kid, I, I kind of wrote those off as childhood Sunday school, vacation Bible school stories that were isolated in and of themselves, and they, they taught some moral truth. They, they taught some about God's goodness, um, but they, how they fit into the whole of Scripture, I had a hard time understanding. Um, and what I want us to understand this morning is that the greater purpose of all those stories is to point us to Jesus. All of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, is about Jesus. Every line, every letter, uh, there's no mistake, and it is incredibly intentional for it all to point us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Um, So what we've seen so far, and and, in summary of of that, and and what what Patrick was speaking on last week... um, God gets to a point where he looks at his creation and, and says, okay, this is really, really wrong. Um, unfathomable, unfathomable for us now um, because the Scripture says that their thoughts were only evil all the time. There was no respite of moral decency. Um, there was no break in, in that cycle of, of sin. Noah's name, and we'll talk about this in a minute, Noah's name means rest, and then when he was born, his parents were like, maybe this is the one who's going to give us a break. Maybe this is the one who's going to break the chain, the cycle, the curse of sin. Maybe this is the one who will deliver us, because the weight of, of, the, of wickedness in the world was so oppressive that even then, this early, they're waiting for someone to deliver them. Um, and so I want to look at three points this morning, backing up our main point. I want us to see how the ark points to Jesus. I want to see how Noah points to Jesus. And I want us to see how Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of these things. Uh, and we'll have a couple application points and, and be done. Um, so first, looking at how the ark points to Jesus. The ark was an unmerited gift of grace. So oftentimes, we look in Scripture and we, we look at a story like Noah uh, and, and the ark and everything that happens here in this, this big chunk of text, um, and we want to cry unfair um, that, that God only saved Noah and his family, um, the fact being aside that it probably took Noah somewhere between 70 and 120 to 125 years to build the ark, and, and Genesis tells us that that entire time Noah's preaching repentance, there's room in the ark, repent, uh, and, and no one does it for 120 some odd years. Um, but we fail to realize that even, even Noah, though he's spoken of here as a righteous man, Noah did not deserve God even coming to him. But what we see throughout all of Scripture is that God always makes the first move. God is always the initiator in redemption, and you will see that over and over and over again. There's not one single person in, in all of scriptural history that gains God's attention earns his favor or bends his ear because they're righteous or anything special at all. 
every single time that God moves toward us as mankind is because He, in His goodness and graciousness, His sovereignty and providence, chose to. And that's what we see here with with God moving to Noah. And you see that as we read it in the text, that God comes to Noah. And it's an incredible gift of grace, unmerited, unearned favor. Jesus was the personification of that very concept. That God came to us. It hasn't been that long since we've celebrated Christmas, since we've walked through Advent, and we talked about Jesus Christ being Emmanuel. God is with us. That God humbled himself and took on flesh and came and lived and dwelt among us trading his crown for a filthy stable, for feet that would walk on disgusting streets. He lowered himself. He came to us. He was the perfect fulfillment of what God did coming to Noah. What God did coming to Noah, Jesus did perfectly, completely, fully, and finally with us. So we see that the art points to Jesus and that it's an unmerited gift of grace. The art also points to Jesus and that it was a refuge from divine judgment. It was a refuge from divine judgment. It was a place where Noah and his family could seek shelter from the judgment that God was about to pour out against all of humanity. Jesus Christ is that exact same thing in a much more full, final, perfect, and eternal fashion. They could hide from God's judgment within the ark. They could seek shelter and refuge and know that they were safe, but for a limited time. Under special circumstances, in in an extremely miraculous setting, but what the ark was momentarily, temporarily, to Noah and his family, Jesus would later come and fulfill perfectly and finally and fully as a refuge for all who would seek shelter within him from God's judgment against sin. So we see the art points us to Jesus and that it's an unmerited gift of grace. It's a refuge from God's judgment against sin. It's also, it was the recipient of God's judgment against sin. The art actually bore his wrath against all of mankind. The scripture says that it was lifted up, it was tossed to and fro, it withstood all of the damage, all of the battering winds, all of the battering water. It took all of that on so that Noah and his family and the animals and livelihood of everything inside didn't have to. And in that way, temporarily, In a small way, Jesus would later come perfectly, fully, completely, eternally would he fulfill that same thing. That Jesus stood in our place. That he took God's wrath against sin on our behalf. He stood in our place When God was pouring his wrath out against all of mankind here in this text in Genesis, 
he could only see the ark because Noah and his family were safely inside. There's another $10 theological term that I like a lot called propitiation. Um, that, that Jesus was the actual payment for our sin. Uh, and in that same sense, this is what the ark was. This, this ark was, was taking their place when it should have been their judgment. Because although Noah was righteous, he wasn't perfect. And in all fairness and honesty, according to Scripture, he deserved exactly what everyone outside of the ark received. And this idea of propitiation, if you ever see on your calendar the Jewish holiday Yom Kippur and wonder what that's all about, um, it was the high holy day on the Jewish calendar. Uh, it was the one day of, of the year where the high priest was allowed into the Holy of Holies within their sanctuary in their mobile tent that would move from everywhere. Um, and they had this, this area that was sectioned off that the high priest could only go into on certain times of the year. Yom Kippur was one of those. But when he went in, and there was this lottery to select who would actually go into the Holy of Holies, and he would go in and his robe would have bells all attached to the bottom of it. So everywhere he moved, you would hear the bells, and he had a rope tied around his ankle just in case he screwed up in God's presence and was struck dead. So they would know because the bell stopped jingling. Joseph, you okay? You know, and they could tug him out on the rope by his ankle and pull him out of God's presence. That alone right there, that should be weighty, okay? Because we're so flippant, we're so careless, so much of the time with this incredible measure of grace that we've been given. That's another sermon for another day. Um, and, and he would go in and he would take the blood of the sacrifice and he would pour it on the mercy seat. And, and what that symbolized was that when God looked down and saw the people of Israel that mercy seat would represent, he wouldn't see them and their sins. He would see the blood of the sacrifice covering it. That is, that is, a, it is a metaphorical picture of what propitiation means and what Christ's death did for us. That, that is what we see um, in, in the ark imperfectly, and what Jesus did perfectly, fully, and finally for us. So we see that the ark points us to Jesus because it's a gracious gift. It's a refuge from divine judgment. It's a recipient of God's judgment. Noah and his family are invited into the ark. So God comes to Noah. He invites them in to the ark. And Scripture is full of, of references where we are invited to Jesus. Over and over and over again, we are invited to Jesus. Um, I, I threw out the comment about uh, concerns about unfairness with God, and I think that's me kind of projecting some of my own issues. Uh, I've, I've confessed before that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a skeptic. Uh, I'm a Thomas, if there ever was one. Um, and so forgive me if I am projecting just a little bit. Um, but when we get that way, it's important to realize how many invitations there are throughout Scripture, how many invitations we have through our life. You know, we were talking just a moment ago about the fact that Noah preached repentance for like 120-some-odd years. God is a God that, that gives invitations over and over and over again. And this is another way that, that it points to Jesus. Um, lastly, from the ark, those outside of the ark would perish there was only one option. Um, Noah preached repentance the entire time. He swung a hammer 
because there was no other way out. We live in a very pluralistic culture, and I understand the need to be sensitive to that so that we stay culturally relevant and we are able to sow seeds of the gospel among everyone. And so, like Paul, we can become all things to all people, but we need to be very cautious at the same time and remind ourselves that as pluralistic as our culture has become and will become even more so, salvation is incredibly singular. Jesus was very clear in preaching that he was it. That anyone outside of himself would perish. And that's not a popular message. Um, and, and, but it's also a very, very needed message. Um, and this is another way that the ark points us to Jesus. That like the ark, but perfectly and finally, Jesus is the only option out of God's wrath and judgment. So we saw how the ark points us to Jesus. We're going to look at how Noah points us to Jesus. We'll pick up the pace a little bit here. Uh, we talked a minute ago about how Noah's name means rest and that his parents were incredibly hopeful that he would be the one that would break the curse of sin. And we see in one way that he was a temporary fulfillment of that because God used him in a great and miraculous way to start afresh. And I believe that for a period of time, there was rest, that there was that breath of fresh air, that moment of being able to go, okay, this is what God intended from the beginning. I think there was some way, some measure, that there was, there was a tiny little bit of Eden, maybe, outside of the ark on that mountain, setting up that altar. I think there was a glimmer that this is, this is what God wanted for us. But Noah could not bring peace. Only Jesus, okay? And again, this is another thing where we're, this is, Noah is, he is a type of Jesus as we look at Scripture. Jesus was the perfect fulfillment. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the only one able to offer true, final, and eternal peace. Um, we also see that Noah points this to Jesus because Noah was righteous. He was, he was righteous in a way that no one else was in his time and day. He was the only one that Scripture said walked with God at a time that everyone else was only thinking about all the time. And so, in a way, in a small way, imperfectly, that was Noah. He was righteous. Jesus was the perfect, full, final fulfillment eternally of that. Because Jesus came, took on flesh, lived among sinful people, but never sinned. And Scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of Christ. Noah walked with God. This is another way that he points us to Jesus. Um, Noah was also given work that would save people. Noah was given a task, and the specific purpose of that was to save people. Uh, and as we look at the life and work of Jesus, we see that from the very earliest age, when his parents lost track of him, he comes back and says, I thought you would have known. I got a job to do. 
Like, I, I, got, I, got plan, I got stuff. Like, this is, I don't have time to waste. From the very earliest moment, Jesus was about his father's business. And to the last moment in the, in the garden, praying, like, I've done everything you asked me to do. Is there another way that this can happen? He was always about his father's work. This, this is what I think the most important part of this story of Noah and the ark is. is, is because it's really easy to get hung up in a lot of things that are, that are debatable, that, that, um, that are not the focus, that are not the greater purpose of this story. Um, and, and, as, and as phenomenal as it is, the things that we, we tell children when we tell them about this story, I really hope that we're not just, we're not just showing them, because we... We, we tend to turn things into caricatures, um, and, and we do that with really in, important stories in Scripture, and we turn them into cartoon depictions of something that is so much bigger than that. And it's cute, you know, and it makes really cool framed artwork to sell overpriced in a Christian bookstore. But does that tell the story that Jesus is the greater ark? That the whole reason we tell you this is so that you can know that this is how intensely God cares about you. This is how far he is willing to go. So we see that Ark points us to Jesus, Noah points us to Jesus, but Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of these things. Um, I'm, I'm, just, I'm fearful that if we don't see the bigger picture, we, we've sold ourselves short and missed the point entirely. This shows us the length that God would go to to preserve Christ's lineage. Um, we, Patrick talked last week. We, we, you know, we, I was actually, um, and I didn't tell him this because I didn't want to inflate his head any worse than it already is, but when he read through the list of generations that got us to Noah and, and, and on, like I was impressed. I don't know if you guys were here for that, but he was like, so-and-so had so-and-so and so-and-so did so-and-so and blah da 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 and went on and on and on. All right, number one, if he tells you he didn't practice that, he's lying. Um, but number two, like, I was, I was moved. Like, the Holy Spirit stirred me at just hearing that reading. Because that's how important it was that Noah and his family be preserved. Because they would bring us to Jesus. And this is the link that he's willing to go to to preserve Christ's lineage. This is also the length that he's willing to go to to preserve his remnant, his chosen people. If you look throughout all of Scripture, God has always had a chosen people that he has preserved. And this is the length that he's willing to go to to do that. It also shows God's absolute incredible sovereignty. The two characteristics of God that I've tried to cling to more than anything else are that God is sovereign and that he is good. If I can believe and cling to nothing else, if I cannot understand or wrap my hand around any other truth, if I can know that God is sovereign and that he is good, I can get by. Because he is, if he is sovereign, then there is nothing that is not under his control. And if he is good, then I can trust him controlling everything. And that gives me incredible peace when it is really hard to find. 
I never want to preach and not give a clear understanding explanation of what the gospel is. We reference it time and time again. This is Jesus being the perfect fulfillment of these things that point us to Jesus. The gospel is a big deal to us here at New City Milledgeville and New City Macon. And this is why. The gospel is, in the beginning, God created everything and everything was perfect. Man sinned, creation fell. Creation fell under the curse that because of our sinfulness, we were due God's wrath and punishment. That we had incurred a debt against a holy God that could only be settled through eternal punishment. That was our lot, that was our fate, inescapable, dark, and doomed. But God sent his son, born of a virgin, lived sinless, lived perfect. The, the important part of him living a sinless, perfect life is the fact that he fulfilled every single law and upheld every single law that we broke so that he could go to the cross and die willingly on our behalf, taking our punishment that should have been ours, that he took every blow that we deserved, that he died in our place, was buried in a borrowed tomb, laid there three days, powerfully resurrected from the grave on the third day, proving that his sacrifice was pleasing to God, that God accepted his payment on our behalf, that he ascended to the Father where he waits to return again and make all things right and make all things new. That is the gospel. And the gospel invitation that Scripture gives to you, we talk about God being a God of invitations, is that anyone who would come and repent and place their faith and trust in the personal work of Jesus Christ will be saved eternally, finally, completely. One of the greatest things that I love about the ark as it points us to Jesus is it was certain security for those who were in the ark. We're going to wrap up here. I think I've gone a little long. I'm sorry, guys. I don't, I've done better about that lately. Here's, here's, here's what I want you to stay with, okay? Um, certain security. There was no doubt that those that entered the ark would be saved. Um, and, and I just I want, to, I want to read this text, um, and I, I wasn't sure if I was going to. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 27. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Um, John 10, 27, and I'm going to read it whether you're there or not for time's sake. Uh, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. <clears throat> I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I love this passage of Scripture because it speaks of the eternal security of the believer. Uh, and I don't know anyone who's not struggled with that concept. Um, and, and from a theological perspective, um, it, it's the perseverance or preservation of the saints. And I see it in the Scripture as us being placed into Jesus' hand uh, and that being placed into the Father's hand uh, and that no one, can, no one can withdraw us from that. Um, application quickly for unbelievers you've heard the gospel um, my, my prayer and hope is that you would respond to the gospel this morning uh, for those who are believers um, 
the call is to repentance and thankfulness. For those who are partners, um, this is the glorious gospel that we are committed to at New City. This is the reason that we sweat and labor and endeavor to see the gospel made much of in Millersville. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy to us this morning. Um, I pray that you would use these words to uh, bring you much glory. Be with us now as we respond in song and communion and in giving. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.